This is Acts 15, 1 through 5. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. This past week, I had the opportunity to listen to a webinar and this week the subject was on conflict within the church family and the the seminar leader asked uh, everybody to say or actually it was online to write into the chat what comes up for you when you think about conflict in the church family what are some of the things that you think about or feel and so, of course, the, the chat just filled up with things like fear or losing friendships or sadness, losing a job, losing a family, divorce. What comes up for you when you think about conflict in the family of God? Well, then she went on to say something that I've been thinking a lot about. She said, what if we began to see conflict in the church family as an opportunity for discipleship? And she had my attention at that point because I confess that I often see conflict as a problem to solve or a threat or an obstacle to maneuver around. My first impulse isn't to think of conflict as an opportunity for discipleship. Well, we're, we're done with Lent now. We're going back to our study of Acts, which we began a year ago. Now we're in the second half of Acts. In chapter 15, which is the first great theological conflict in the church's life. And just to do a quick review, after beginning as a Jewish reform movement in Jerusalem, You'll remember that the early Christians began sharing the gospel with non-Jewish friends, and the Bible calls them Gentiles. And this went very well. The Antioch Church, which was up in a major city in Syria, about 120 miles to the north, it sent Paul and Barnabas out to a region that we would call Turkey and Syria today. And they shared the gospel with many, many people who were not Jews, and many came to faith. But their journey to faith looked very different than the journey of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Because if you're a Jewish believer and you believe in Jesus, you do so as a Jew. You saw him as a fulfillment of uh, your messianic hopes. And so you, you kept the uh, Jewish law as part of the way that you'd follow Jesus. But the Gentiles didn't know anything about the Jewish law. And they had no interest 
in keeping it when they came to follow Jesus. And so you might imagine that you've got insiders and outsiders, traditionalists and progressive, whatever you want to say it, you've really got a mess. You've got a real controversy going on here. And the issue was simply this at the core, do you need to become a Jew to become a Christian? And that was the big theological controversy in the first century. Did they manage to use conflict as an opportunity for discipleship? Well, we'll see. Some men came down from Judea, were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And this was a, a very reasonable way for them to think about this at this time. That was how they understood how you related rightly to God. A lot of Jesus' teaching and Paul's teaching was correcting that. The whole book of Galatians is about that. But this was the worldview they brought to faith was, okay, we trust in Jesus, plus we keep the law of Moses. We have to do both. And so they went to these Gentile Christians to set them straight, they thought, to get them on board, to clarify. And they had a gospel we might call Jesus plus. Believe in Jesus, plus do these other things. And as we've said in the past, that's not unique to them. We still do that today, but that's another sermon. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate, and Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question. Those are very strong words in the Greek, and the idea is this was a very serious theological problem. They were arguing about the very essence of the gospel. So this is not a secondary issue. And, and Paul will say this in the letter to the Galatians. Here's just a couple of lines that he writes a few years later. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there even is one. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So this is about a big a controversy as you can have in the church because it's about the essence of the gospel. Now what often happens at this point, even over lesser things, is that the believers decide to go different ways. And a new church is begun or a new denomination is begun. Garrison Keeler in his book Lake Wobegon Days uh, kind of has a little fun with this, and he's imagining this town where he says he grew up. It's a fictional town, but he says, In a town where everyone was either Lutheran or Catholic, we were neither one. We were exclusive brethren, a branch that believed in keeping itself pure of false doctrine by avoiding association with the impure. Some brethren assemblies, mostly in larger cities, were not so strict and broke bread with strangers, we referred to them as the so-called open brethren, the so-called implying the shakiness of their position. Whereas we made sure that any who fellowshiped with us were straight on all the details of the faith 
as set by the, forth by the brethren who left the Anglican Church in 1865 to worship on the basis of correct principles. Unfortunately, once free of the worldly Anglicans, these firebrands were not content to worship in peace, but turned their guns on each other. Scholarly to the core and perfect literalist everyone, they set to arguing over points that, to an outsider, would have seemed very minor indeed, but which to them were crucial to the faith, including the question, if believer A is associated with believer B, who has somehow associated himself with C, who holds a false doctrine, must A break off association with B, even though B does not hold the doctrine to avoid the taint? The correct answer, yes. Once having tasted the pleasure of being correct and defending true doctrine, they kept right on and broke up at every opportunity until, by the time I came along, there were dozens of tiny brethren groups, none of whom spoke to each other. <laughs> this, sadly, is the way the church often deals with conflict. But the, the, what we notice here is that Paul and Barnabas respond in a different way. They do not start their own denomination. They turn towards the conflict and they begin a 120-mile ride through the desert to Jerusalem to work it through. I think that's a very important principle here is that when we have conflict with anyone but people in the turning towards the conflict and not turning away from the conflict. You know, during Lent, I don't know what it was like for you, but, but I asked the Lord, what are a couple of things on your heart that I should be praying about during Lent? I got three things, and one of them was reconciliation. You know, it has been a, a long year, and relationships have been strained. I mean, you can even tell it a little bit tonight. I mean, I've got a mask on, usually we've got sunglasses on. You look in somebody's face, you don't know if they're happy to see you or they want to shoot you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard. There's so many impediments to relating right now. It's really difficult. You may feel a little raw relationally. You may have a little relational repair work to do. I'd encourage you to turn towards the person instead of away from them. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, brought great joy to all the brothers. Now maybe you've, you've had this experience. I mean, we're probably, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you're familiar with the story. This is one of the greatest revivals in the history of the church. The gospel is actually exploding out of, of Judaism into the Gentiles. Thousands of people are coming to Christ. People are being uh, saved. There's new churches being planted, new leaders being raised up and sent out. And right in the middle of this work of the Spirit, these guys show up and say, hey, you're doing it wrong. You're not preaching the gospel right. They need to be circumcised. Sometimes that's when conflict hurts the most, when you feel like you're doing what God has called you to do, but then somebody comes along and they're all negative and they're all critical and they, you feel like this is a disruption from what God has called me to do. You're interrupting the work of God. Can't you see this? 
Well, for some reason, and maybe they remembered the Lord's Prayer in John 17, that we would be one and that the world would know because we're one. Maybe they remember that. They don't act like this is a disruption. They lay down what they're doing and they head to Jerusalem. And I think that's a helpful principle too. When conflict begins to simmer in your relationships, it may feel like it's distracting you from the work of God, but in fact, it actually may be the work of God. Paul apparently did not have something better to do. So maybe something to, to just think about tonight is, are you willing to disrupt your plans to repair a relationship? When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Now, I want you to kind of put another hat on tonight. Imagine that you are a Jewish leader. How might you feel about Paul and Barnabas and what they're doing? You might think that they are a threat to the church. You might think that they are uh, heretics. You might see them as enemies but it's very interesting what they do they welcome them the Greek word just means to receive or accept or have into your table and remember there's no great cathedral here they would have welcomed them into their home to stay and to sleep and to eat so the first great ecumenical council of the church, and there's seven in the first 800 years, the first one didn't take place in a cathedral. It took place over a table. I find it hard to be welcoming when someone is upset with me or critical. But this is a beautiful picture of what Christian hospitality looks like. Opening your table welcoming the person with the concern and having conversation. Now, one of the things that uh, the speaker said in the webinar was agreeing to disagree can simply be a way to avoid real conflict. And I thought a lot about that this week because I go there pretty quickly. Well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And I'm not sure I entirely agree with the speaker. I think sometimes you have to agree to disagree. But I think her point is, have you sat down at the table first? Have you given the relationship a chance? Have you tried to find out what they really think and fear and hope and dream before you agree to disagree? This is an area I think we can grow in as a church, and I hope we do as we move forward. We talk a lot about consensual orthodoxy, this affirming the classic orthodoxy of the creed and then disagreeing in other areas, and that's all well and good. But if too quickly it means, I don't want to talk about it, let's just agree to disagree, we miss a wonderful opportunity for God to work. Some believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, rose up and said, 
No, no, no. It's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Well, you can tell this is going to be a difficult conversation. And Acts 15 is all about that. Will they be able to turn this into an opportunity for discipleship? We'll have to see. For this week, let's simply notice that when these early leaders clashed violently in their very understanding of the gospel, they turned towards one another and not away. They did not immediately create a new church or denomination. They chose to allow the conflict to disrupt their plans, sensing God might have something bigger for them. And they made it a priority to get into one another's homes and talk and pray through their differences. And we should do the same. As Christ burst forth from the tomb, may new life burst forth from us and show itself in acts of love and healing to a hurting world. And may that same Christ who lives forever and is the source of our new life Keep your hearts rejoicing and grant you peace this day and always. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.